BBCC episode 51, my realization of the day. I don't know what it says about me that the movie we're talking today is a comfort film for me. I mean, bloody is in the title of the podcast, so it totally tracks that absolute carnage makes me happy. I swear I'm not happy. I don't wish it upon others, but I do hope it rains blood at my funeral. Let's go ahead and start the show. Yes, we're still doing it, guys. We're still doing it. Uh, we just passed 50 episodes, and now we are on to 51. Hello, hello. It is your boy, Devon Taylor, a.k.a. underscore Daddy Disco on Twitter and Instagram, and this is the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. This is a horror movie podcast where we delve into the subgenres of horror as well as dissect some of the popular franchises, and we are closing out a franchise today. We have been talking the Evil Dead series all of Necronoctober um, to celebrate spooky season um, by accident. I didn't plan, so like, because Evil Dead 1 was released October 15th, so like a week or so ago. So I had an anniversary, nice little, uh, uh, you know, boost for the episode. And then recording today, it is actually Sam Raimi's birthday. Um, not at the day of the release of this episode, but at the time of recording, we are releasing on Mr. Raimi's birthday, so that's pretty dope. I didn't mean for any of that to happen. It just kind of did. Um, I, I plan these things very meticulously, as you can see. But um, I'm super excited to talk the 2013 Evil Dead remake today. And, of course, I do have a guest waiting in the woods he is a writer and podcaster and can be heard across numerous radio shows in the Ontario, Canada area if you are there. Welcome to the show, Mr. Adam Donaldson. Oh, thank you, Devon. It is such a, a pleasure and a treat and uh, an honor to be on the uh, the BBCC today. Yeah, thank you. Um, you, because um, I, I invited you on because you had a column on Nightmare on Film Street for a little while. Um, I think... You might have came onto staff and like started writing like as I was on my way out, possibly. I'm not sure when um, we might have been writing together. It's been a minute for me. But um, you did have a column in there, um, you know, talking remakes. And so I did want to get you on for this one. So that way we can kind of, you know, do a little compare and contrast. But then also, um, you know, lots of praise for this remake because I don't know about you. But this is actually one of my like all time like favorite movies. Period. Um, it's 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 pretty far up there for me. Um, but before we get into more Evil Dead stuff, I must ask if you happen to indulge in the devil's lettuce, tell me about <laughs> one of your um, favorite high horror experiences. I hate to break it to you, but I am like typical stereotypical canadian fashion i'm super straight edge and i <laughs> and most of my experiences in the last several years when i'm going to the movies are like in, in a journalistic capacity so i'm mm -hmm. reviewing something so um out of i guess uh a sense of professionalism uh and because i'm usually taking notes during these things i, I tend to not partake 
when uh, I'm on the job. But uh, yeah, I, I'm I, I'm one of these people who, when I've got a buzz, I get easily distracted, mm-hmm. and I, I'm also, I mean, I tend to laugh inappropriately at the most sober of times, but uh, <laughs> it goes up by a factor of maybe 10. So if I were to see something like Evil Dead 2013 in a movie theater while high and watching people, you know, saw limbs off, um, they, they would probably call the usher on me. It's like, this guy is laughing way too loud at this <laughs> girl getting her arm cut off. But I mean, you know, I don't know about that because I remember <laughs> whenever I did see this in theaters, this was like one of the rowdiest crowds like I'd been a part of. It was so much fun. Like it was one of my favorite viewing experiences, like because I feel like this is one of those movies that like it's OK to be like like because like by the end of this movie, like we were like audibly cheering. Yes. Rip that arm off. Damn it. Like, I mean, like so um, <laughs> this one might be an exception to that. But um, I totally feel you, you know, like um I'm totally like the opposite. Like if I'm like, whenever I do watch movie stoned, it actually like helps me focus a little bit more. And then like, I'm less likely to be like checking my phone or doing something and like kind of lets me just like kind of seep into it a little bit. And, um, you know, not everybody's a functional stoner like me though. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> different strokes for different folks. And then, um, I also want to ask because, you know, we're been covering the Evil Dead series for October. Not the most Halloween-y uh, of franchises, I suppose. So, do you have any uh, spooky season favorites you've been watching this month? Um, any of them that are, like, kind of a yearly watch for you? Well, the big one for me is uh, on Halloween night, I do rewatch The Exorcist. I, hmm. I turn off all the lights and uh, just sit back and let it wash over me uh the experience and i i switch it up um one year i'll do like the original cut and the other the next year i'll do the extended mm, or the director's cut because i have them both on blu-ray so uh yeah i i just one of the things i have a, an, an obnoxious habit of doing because i'm one of these people who still buys physical media so i'll be like out at the the thrift store or the the secondhand store and i'll buy you know four or five dvds and i'll maybe watch two and bank the other three so by you know by the end of the 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 end of the year there's a pile that i haven't watched and sometimes they're horror movies so when we get to october and it's like okay well now it feels like the time i have to watch these so um that that's a little glimpse inside my life um this year it's been uh, a lot of classic um like a classic the the classic universal monster movies i mean mm-hmm. um so it's like the mummy and creature from the black lagoon and dracula and uh, also because halloween kills came out a couple of weeks ago i've been having like a select rewatch of some of the halloween movies so i've I rewatched the original of course and i did season of the witch although it's not michael myers related it's just because it's um I mean, that one is just, that one bleeds like Halloween. Like, I don't yeah. know, oh, yeah. like the Halloween <laughs> movies. Um, and the the jingle in it is so addictive, too. So when you're, like, thinking, of like, eight more days till Halloween, it's... Silver <laughs> Shamrock. Love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I need so, to... So, I mean, that's, that's, that's sort of been my Halloween month. Nice. I need to, I need to give The Exorcist another watch. Um, I watched it like a few years ago and it was like, that was like my first time of watching it as like more of a film minded person. And like, I was like, whoa, like this movie is just like so expertly made. Like it's so fucking good. Like the, the direction behind it. 
And of course, anytime somebody mentions the exorcist, I have to shout out that one of the stories that influenced the exorcist was a little boy that was claimed to have been possessed happened in St. Louis, where I'm from. Um, my older brother was actually born in the hospital where he was taken to. And fun fact about that hospital, that floor is still shut down to this day. They don't use that Mm. floor anymore. The elevator just skips it. Like, it's fucking weird. Really? Um, Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, very interesting. So it's like, you know, like, I think that the hospital, like, truly, you know, they must have been believers, I suppose. And um, the fact that they went through the length and still go through that today. It's pretty wild. Um, Yeah. But yeah, so definitely due for a rewatch on that one. Um, Lately for me, I did mention the last episode. um, Been tearing through some Scooby-Doo movies this month. (laughs) Like, I mean, I've been like, I love Scooby-Doo so much. I just like keep going back to them. Like after me and Sloan recorded our episode of Army of Darkness, we watched like another Scooby-Doo movie afterwards just because I was like, I've been on this kick. I, I love Scooby-Doo. It's um really great. Um, And a, another typical Halloween movie. I've had to shout out so many of these already this month. Um, I do want to um shout out Boys in the Trees because I did do an episode with the director like over a year ago. If you haven't listened to that episode, it's really great. I love when I get to talk to the director of their films. But Boys in the Trees is like my... Like uh, either day before or like day of Halloween watch every year Um, since it's come out. It's a fairly newer one. It came out in 2016 and um, it's just a it's a such a great film. And it's like all about storytelling and kind of getting swept up in the, the mystery and magic of Halloween night. But also with this just like very heartbreaking but tender story between these uh, two best friends or like estranged friends rather. And um, it's uh, it's really good. It's got just great spooky vibes. It's got um, a great 90s soundtrack to it. It has all the imagery you want in a Halloween film. It feels like, you know, you can like see everybody's like wearing jackets and it's like slightly cool out, you know, like you just get all the little things out of it. And um, I really love that episode as well. So check out Boys in the Trees. Um, it's a great yearly Halloween watch. And then go listen to the episode with uh, director Nicholas Verso. It was uh, a lot of fun. Have you seen that one? I, I have not seen Boys in the Trees. I have heard a lot of good things about it. And um, it, it it is on the list, the, the never-ending, ever-growing list of Mm-hmm. <laughs> recommendations <laughs> oh yes i mean yeah i highly do recommend it and it's great because it's one of those movies that over the past couple of years is really starting to pick up some steam um with mm-hmm. people talking about it more people talk about it a lot more around october um so it is one of those movies that's like kind of growing it's a little cult following if you will i won't i won't say it yet but i think it's it's on its way you know you see how long it took trick-or-treat to you know gain its you know following and popularity and now sam's everywhere so yeah and i remember uh trick-or-treat i was at toronto after dark when they screened it there and uh i mean a horror film festival crowd is a crowd that gets it anyway but you know everyone who was there that night left with like just this eagerness about trick-or-treat and maybe that being a franchise although it sadly never materialized but i'm i i have noted that as well that uh trick-or-treat seems to be having a 
renaissance, I guess, but uh, it's it's overdue, but um, it's one I'm grateful for. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's, you know, always nice to kind of have when you find the more modern films to kind of add and mix in with your, you know, like classic, you know, Halloween movies that you watch every year as well. You know, so it's like nice having the fun little mix. But I would say that we are nice and warmed up to get to our feature film of the episode. <laughs> Evil Dead 2013, no the in front of this one. That's how you distinguish them. Uh, written and directed by Fede Alvarez with a co-write by his writing partner, Roto. I'm not even going to pronounce the last name. I'm not even going to attempt it. We're just going to move on. <laughs> uh, this movie was released in 2013. It um, was made on a $17 million budget and was a box office smash, bringing in $97.5 million. Um, it was a, you know, one of those movies, it was a great theater going experience. And um, obviously the name recognition of Evil Dead brought a lot of people in, but then the word of mouth um, really continued the film, um, you know, weeks after its release. So it was just, uh, it, you know, people, this this came out a little bit after the remake boom, you know, the, the, the prime of remakes was like kind of more the mid 2000s to like, you know, 2012 ish so this was like kind of slightly after that people were kind of a little burnt out on remakes i'd say and this one is a um man we've been kind of coming up with all these different words for different what type of sequels um these movies are you know evil dead 2 is kind of like a requel like remake sequel this one is i would say also in that way it's like a or it's like a rebootquel maybe uh for this one because it does have connections and indicates that it's you know in the same timeline as the original series um you know we have the delta in there uh we have the looking glass the same cabin um so there's inklings that it is but then it also very much follows the formula of the original film with um slight twists and turns um you know, I will get into more of my deeper thoughts um, on this film here in a minute. But Adam, what is your overall um, experience with this movie? Uh, well, I saw it when it came out, and you know, you hearing you talk about how people were kind of, uh, I guess, uh, stuffed after the the remake boom. I think I was definitely feeling it at the time as well, which is part of the reason why I think this hit so hard and. Uh, it just it manages to take the skeletal frame of the Evil Dead, uh, the, the original film. It's a cabin in the woods. Five friends go out there. They find an evil book, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, it goes somewhere completely different with it. I think the important difference uh, you didn't mention is that it is uh, a very serious, um, yes. very, you know, it is almost humorless. I mean, even in that first Evil Dead movie, um, Sam Raimi is still showing off some of the things mm-hmm. he would um, take to the natural conclusion he would in Evil Dead 2. But um, there is serious acting, capital A acting going on in <laughs> Evil Dead. Yes. Um, these are for them. Actually, I think they are all professional actors. I don't think anyone in this movie was, this was kind of like their first role. Um, 
you know, th- there was clearly more ambition. You know, you mentioned that this evil that had a budget of 17 million. And I, I went to the trouble of going to the inflation calculator on the internet. Um, the original Evil Dead costs three hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. I mean, there's some debate about exactly how much mm-hmm. it costs, but about three hundred seventy-five thousand dollars in nineteen eighty-one dollars, which would be just over a million dollars in today's money. So even adjusted for inflation, um, wow. F- Fidi Alvarez still had a lot to a lot more room to play a lot more slack in the budget than Sam Raimi ever had. I, I would be very surprised actually, if the, if the total budget for evil dead, evil dead two and army of dead all added up to 17 million, <laughs> but actually, uh, it's, it's actually pretty close to that. Um, yeah. <laughs> Cause I bet if we did the inflation on the second movie, which had a three and a half million dollar budget and then army of darkness was around 11 million. So probably with the mm-hmm. inflation would add up to probably about 17 million. Yeah. Um, it's it's interesting though. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is and that's the, you know, this movie does the there there's different ways to go about remaking and rebooting and it's either, you know, you have the like, you know, technological updates and updates to modern time and this movie does have that um to a degree and then it's it's either you got to take the 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 dna and do something completely different story-wise or you have to change it completely tonally and alvarez went with the latter more um because yeah this is the serious uh one of the bunch um i think that's why i liked it so much because though i admire i have a great admiration for uh Raimi's trilogy um, it's just not my style of comedy. So as a as horror comedies, they don't exactly work as well for me. And and then in and in rewatching the the original one isn't as comedic as I remembered it. And then I appreciated the original a little bit more because it's still a little bit more horror leaning. But this one is full blast into the horror. Like this is this is serious. But it's it's funny that you say it's humorless. Versus I do look at this movie in a way that because there is so much pain and carnage and blood happening that it almost becomes funny because you <laughs> kind of halfway through the movie, you've accepted that everybody is fucked. Like there, there's like they Alvarez doesn't leave hope in this one, but then that makes it almost humorous in its own unique way. I mean, it, it helps that a lot of the Actually, maybe all the characters are not necessarily, I guess, in, I'm, not, I'm not saying they're not interesting, but uh, if, you know, let's say we're trying to fill a lifeboat and uh, there were five <laughs> spots left on the lifeboat and these five people were on the deck, I'm not entirely sure I would want them to get on. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it makes it, I mean there are character elements and there's a lot unsaid between the various characters, like the Jessica mm-hmm. Lucas character and the, um, the brother played by uh, Shyla Fernandez. They seem to have some sort of history, perhaps a romantic history, but that's never made explicit. Um, there's an obvious tension between um, Lou Taylor Pucci's character and, and Fernandez as well. That's mm-hmm. never explained that, you know, this idea that, um, the, the brother Shiloh Fernandez hasn't been a part of this friend group for a while. And he's kind of been um, uh, without too much, um, I, I guess 
willingness to come back mm-hmm. um it, it's sort of like he's been reluctantly been brought back to help his sister detox so yeah it just you know looking at our our characters here you you kind of are like you know what maybe they deserve to be here maybe every single one of them deserves to be here and die in the most horrible way they they this this clearly isn't a, a time of of them reveling in their friendship because yeah. that's that's clearly come and gone. So perhaps, you know, all that's left is for them to have a horrible death. I mean, I will say that is 100% the case for Eric. We'll get to more of that in a minute. Like, he definitely deserved everything he got in this movie. And he uh, gets a lot. And he gets a lot, that asshole. Um, but yeah, and the the character work does come more just from the performances. Because, yeah, there's not a whole lot written. There's not a lot of layers presented um, like you said, like, yeah, we get like, you know, the little we get what we need, um, which is even still more to say about than the first two films um, in the Raimi trilogy. Like, you know, they're not deep characters either. Like, obviously, we learn a lot about Ash because we spent three movies with him. But, you know, like when at the base level, they don't really do too much character work either. So, like, even though there's not much, it's enough. It's what we need. Um, and then lets the performers take care of the rest. Because this is a, a really talented bunch of actors, um, many of whom either have had past experiences in the genre world up to this movie or would go on to do more things in the genre world. Like, literally all of them. Like, Fernandez with Dead Girl. You got um, uh, Taylor Pucci with Spring, and he would go on to do some American Horror Story even. Uh, Jessica Lucas was in The Covenant and uh, Cloverfield. So it's like all of them. Um, obviously were into this world and this was a very you know like tough shoot this was a 70 day in the woods at night shoot you know very similar to uh, the evil the first evil dead you know was a a tumultuous not tumultuous but it was a not easy um, shoot but when you have all these actors that are obviously down for the cause um, and are you know committed to doing it with a confident director behind it as well, um, you do get something like this. And, um, you know, some other interesting elements were that um, this is, aside from just like a few enhancements, there's next to no CGI in this movie, um, all practical effects, over 50,000 gallons of blood used throughout this movie. Like, it's so you get all the, the tactile stuff and you still get that, even though this was on a much bigger, bigger budget, still feels like, you know, that that gritty filmmaking that, you know, we see in the first film. Yeah. And, it, but it's a little bit different though. And I was struggling trying to figure out if any of the stuff in the forest was like recreated on a, on a soundstage or something. But then I, I was, I did watch it right through to the end and it, it was filmed in New, in New Zealand. So, I mean, a forest is a forest is a forest, but, uh, you know, the fact that they went out to New Zealand to shoot it probably for tax benefits, but it also mm-hmm. has this side benefit of uh, making the forest seem just a little bit off. It's not the forest that we're used to here in North America. Yeah. Um, so there, there's kind of a, a little kind of, it, it's kind of subconscious that this forest just feels different, not necessarily evil, but it feels different. It feels a little dreamlike, a little ethereal. And they have, they have this the fog machine working overtime and some of the scenes <laughs> too, which only adds to the effect, but oh, it's, yeah. it, it, there's just such great atmosphere. Yeah. I mean, this definitely isn't, you know, it's, you know, the, the first evil day is set in, you know, set in Michigan. 
Um, I think they filmed in like Tennessee, I think. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting how it's like, you know, like, and, the, and that could also possibly explain like some of the timeline stuff. Cause like, what if this isn't the exact same cabin that Ash was at in Ash and company, but maybe this is a cabin that has also been infected with this evil and kind of creates this familiarity coincidence feeling to the whole thing because that that's um how Alvarez explains it you know how it's connected to the original trilogy is like you know these coincidences aren't coincidences they it's you know this cycle of evil happening um and the evil so it's like you know this you could look at as that this is the same cabin that Ash and friends you know um went to in the first one or this is just another cabin in the woods that is also infected by evil that also like kind of just mimics these events happening i don't know it's interesting yeah you have to assume too that not to go right to the ending but like she does burn down the cabin in the end so if you're thinking to yourself if this is some sort of cycle if this is cyclical you know there's always a group of people who stumble upon this cabin Mm -hmm. and awake evil and have to do uh, battle with evil demonic forces. Perhaps you can't destroy the cabin. Maybe it's this like totem that, you know, you think you destroyed it, but then it resets to wait for the next group of suckers. Exactly. Like same with like how the book like wouldn't burn. So in, in it makes me question when, when does the cold open take place? I can't mm-hmm. tell if it happens. Is that supposed to precede Ash and Friends? Or is that supposed to be in between Ash and Friends? And then apparently me and David's family buys the cabin. This was like a child home thing. So the it's, it's tricky on where the cold open fits into the timeline. But speaking of which, this cold open, one of my favorites like ever. I love the misdirect of... You're thinking this uh, girl in the woods is the victim. I mean, she is the victim, but she's also already possessed. She's already killed a bunch of people, and it's her dad having to execute her. And just like the the screaming, and we get you know introduced to like how you know this is gonna be really filthy with its language, and then we get her on fire, and then getting shot in the face. So it's like yo, like we are not playing games in this um, cold open. Um, the line. I will rip your soul out, Daddy. Gets me every time. <laughs> ah, love this cold open. Yeah, it, it was an interesting way to start it too, because um, I don't think there's a cold open. And I know there isn't for Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two. I haven't seen Army of Darkness in a while, so I can't remember if there's a cold open for that or not. So it, it's an interesting way to sort of set the scene. I think also it it it, it does kind of play with that timeline thing you're talking about because one of the things one of the notes i made while rewatching uh 2013 was what happened to the hillbillies yeah like it could have been like 20 30 50 60 years early because there's there's nothing that tells you what the time is you don't see a car that can give you an idea nobody has a cell phone so i would say it couldn't have been too long because there was all the dead cats Sure. And they weren't like fully decomposed. Like when they went in the basement, they were still able to tell that they were dead cats hanging. So maybe the cold open happens somewhere in between like, you know, David and Mia's family having it. And then they maybe spent a bunch of time away from it 
and then while they were away, some hillbillies, you know, were like squatting in that in the cabin or something, or they were drawn to the cabin. But so maybe it happens somewhere in there. I would say, I guess the cold open might maybe is only like maybe a few years before the events of this film. If I had to guess, I think mm-hmm. that's what I'm gonna go with. <laughs> I mean, you could be right, but I mean, it, I was also thinking like maybe it's like a cold cellar and things are preserved longer, and it's it's been years since the events of the cold. I mean, it's, it, it's interesting because I mean, there's also no payoff to the cold open either, except uh, that the book is, because at some point somebody had to wrap up the book and cover it with, I guess, barbed wire or whatever they do to it. Uh, it, it just, it, it, it's an enticing beginning that and by, by the time you kind of get to the end of the film, so much has happened, but it's one of those things that sticks out in your mind as the credits were like, yeah, what happened to the hillbillies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, because I guess they presumably had stopped the abomination at that point because they destroyed it. They burnt it with the fire and blew its head off. So they 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 won, I guess. And then the hillbillies said, let's get out of this forest. I, I, I imagine I want to imagine a happy ending for the hillbillies, except for the dad that had to obviously kill his daughter. Like not not for that guy, but. I, mm-hmm. I, I believe maybe they had a good uh, happy ending. Um, and I do also want to mention like, so how, what brings Mia and David and company to the cabin here? Um, even that is like, you know, a total 180 from the first film where it's like the first film, Ash and their friends are going because they're going to have a fun time in the cab and they're in love and everybody's going to have sex and we're going to drink and it's going to be great. And I'm going to propose to you, but with a magnifying glass necklace, you know, all the, it's all happy and more fun going versus it's like, nope, this one's because it's a heroin addict that needs to kick addiction. This like that's not fun at all, and it's like, and the the parent, um, the siblings have their tension because their mom died and David wasn't there, and so it's like, it, it, just even the reasoning on why they're there is so much uh, darker than the original, and you know, and some people have criticized this movie in a way are they being like exploitive of like you know like the struggles of addiction. And I think it goes really well, though, with the um, kind of the way that evil works and like, you know, like whether it's the metaphor of it taking your body, uh, like a literal metaphor of taking your body uh, as compared to drugs. And also it makes for a good um, to, to mix in the horror. Like, obviously, we know what's happening is actually real, but it's nice for the characters to be like okay, is the crazy stuff happening because of, you know, her withdrawals and all this stuff, and is she getting delusional, or is something really going on? Like, kind of the way that they, like, you um, do the story in uh, Taking a Deborah Logan, like, using Mm -hmm. that that idea of dementia to, like, transition into the horror elements to, like, create mystery. So I think the, even though it's, like, they don't go super deep into the, the narrative as far as Mia's addiction, and stuff like that. They don't go super deep into it, but it's enough to get to, you know, allow us to enjoy the craziness that's going to happen later. You know, they do enough of it. It was interesting because I was watching it this time. I was wondering, um, is she chosen by the abomination because she's the, the recovering drug addict and she's got, you know, a head full of 
bad thoughts and she was sort of like the easiest one to possess or did they choose her because she just happened to be outside when Eric was reading from the book she was outside walking around in the rain trying to cope with her withdrawals and all that Mm -hmm. that I I think there's kind of like a shade of gray there yeah when she gets possessed it becomes that metaphor and and all that and Mm -hmm. you know when she overcomes the the book and the evil and the deadites at the end it's yes she's also come her addiction as well but i i wonder how much of it too is just this sort of random luck of the draw she was outside when the evil was summoned and she was the first one they came across i mean i would like to think that it was you know the former of like yeah the the dead knows that she's weak she's in a state that she can be easily taken advantage of because obviously it doesn't always work out for the evil dead when they're trying to claim their five souls so that way the abomination can come and, you know, hell on earth and all that jazz. They're not very successful with it. So the evil dead is thinking in their brain right now, uh, undead brains, <laughs> thinking, okay, we have an easy target. We're really going to do it this time. It's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, too, because... You know, Jane Levy, in, who plays Maya, is set up as the the final girl, but she spends most of the movie as the the monster. And mm-hmm. uh, all the others kind of have to respond to her. So she, you know, Jane Levy gets to have it both ways. She gets to play both, both killer and, and victim at the same time, which is another interesting touch to the film. Because in, even in the original Evil Dead, I mean, Bruce Campbell, it's tough to say he's playing Ash as we know Ash. Mm-hmm. through the later films and he's basically playing joe everyman in the first film mm-hmm. but um he is very clearly the hero in the entirety of that film maya spends most of the film as the villain and is only in the end forced to overcome the inner demons becomes the hero i mean when you think about it mia gets to do triple duty like she gets yeah. to literally she gets to be the final girl gets to be you know the typical protagonist hero um you know because at first you think you know oh is david gonna kind of have you know the typical kind of leading guy you know and saves the day at some point hero and it's like he saves his sister but then he still dies you know so it's like and then she's also like you said the 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 monster the the um antithesis of you know the events going on and it's and it's very interesting how they use mia because it's like in this rewatch, I like kind of, you know, like clocked in my head. It's like, you know, she's taken and, and start kicks off the events. But then like throughout the second act, she's pretty much not around except for, we do get like the memorable scenes where we do cut to, you know, the cellar and, you know, we have uh, Mia licking box cutters, splitting her tongue open and, and doing, you know, um, and also just like shots of her like maniacally laughing and like cheering stuff on, which has always been a favorite trope of mine throughout the Evil Dead franchise. I love when the evil the, the, there's a sense of camaraderie with the Evil Dead that they they when another Deadite is causing a muck, the other one is like, yeah, yeah, do it, yeah, I love this, and it it kind of cracks me up. <laughs> no, no, that's one of my I was gonna say favorite parts of the original Evil Dead, but I remember the first time I saw the Evil Dead. Uh, I found that kind of that found that aspect kind of disturbing that you have these kind of monsters sort of teaming up with each other. It's not just about taking the threats one at a time. Like as one monster attacks, the other one's like, "Yeah, yeah, get them," 
And yeah. uh, like the, the one image of Ash's girlfriend as a dead eye, you know, mocking going, Ash, 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 Ash. That's like it. That's like a drill right to my head every time I see that. It's an earwake. It's uh, I love it. But it, it is it is noticeably like nails on a chalkboard. And that's one of the great things about the dead eye characters. Oh, yeah. They they hype each other up. They talk shit while they're while they're causing a muck like. Especially in this one, like, you know, the, the Deadite's real, real nasty in this one, and it's shit-talking always, um, it's always very sexual, I've realized yeah. in this one, um, but, yeah, and, and I love, you know, the, each, I, I love, like, each set piece in this one, like, you know, like, I feel like we get a little bit more from each character that turns into a Deadite, and then, like, different things happen, um, you know, because in the first, in, in the originals, it's, like, kind of more caused by, like, one deadite for, like, most of it. And then a lot of it's Ash kind of battling himself. But this one, it's, like, each, every time somebody gets possessed, it's, like, brings you into the set piece for the next one. Because it's, like, then they infect the next person that's going to cause a whole th- thing. So it's, like, when the when the bathroom scene um, hits in this one, like, that's, like, also, like, when we really see the true colors of this movie of like how just like violent, messy, dirty, bloody, nasty it is. Like the effects on, um, on Olivia, Jessica Lewis's character, um, uh, like the effects that we see, like as she's like cutting her face in the mirror and like has like half her the like skin off her mouth. And then this is the, the uh, first scene of just Eric getting his ass handed to him. Um, which happens just multiple th- times throughout the movie. Like, I mean, just like the, like you feel every like body hit against like the porcelain of the bathroom. Like you like you feel it, and then he's getting st- stabbed with hypodermic needles, and just like it's it's so visceral. And like I feel like that bathroom scene is like okay, this is what we're in for for the rest of the movie now. Taylor Pucci had either the best time making this movie or the worst time <laughs> making this movie. I, I, it's up to him to, to to tell us for sure. But, but I think I think it's even more brutal before that when she's out in the woods and she gets like formally possessed by the the evil dead eye mm-hmm. because you know she's trying to make it through this brush and it's grabbing her and trying to hold her in a position and then she sees like the image of evil Mia who then vomits up this evil vine or something and and mm-hmm. how does it infect her it goes up you know into her vagina it's a kind of rape it's, so even even at that moment it's like saying this is not your dad's evil dead this we are we are going to present you as something really really brutal so strap in yeah and it, you know and it's interesting because you know we, we talked about the initial one and uh alvarez wasn't going to do this scene he was going to uh, skip it all together but apparently the producers pressured him saying that this was like a sentiment you know thing and i do like the the tweaks that he made you know because like it, even though it is obviously rape to a degree it's still not presented as like sexually and gratuitous as like the original one. Cause right. like, Mia gets to stay fully clothed in this one. Everybody stays fully clothed in this movie. It's great. Um, but you know, so it like doesn't add this like unnecessary, like sexual element to it, even though the rest of the movie kind of does have this psychosexual element to it. But this scene did not feel that way. And no. it's still presented in just like, it's disgusting. It's unsettled and it's uncomfortable. 
I remember it making, you know, but it also happens very quick. It's not as drawn out as the original scene is um, either. Like this one happens pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, it's uh, again, yeah, like presented in a way that's like, hey, like I, if we're, if we're going to do it, you know, we're going to do it this way, you know, compared to how it yeah. uh, felt tonally. But to, to, to visit your point too, like when she goes into the bathroom and turns the, the hot water on and it skulls her. I mean, that is the beginning. What's really interesting is that there's kind of no set piece break, set piece break. You go into that bathroom scene and it just ratchets it up the tension until I don't think there's a break until the everyone else is dead and just um, David and Eric are left and, and Maya's in the basement. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of get this lull again that only then, and then it picks up when they go into the basement uh, to get Maya out so that they can bury her and Eric gets killed. And then that goes sort of right through to the end of the movie. There's really not a lot of breaks in between. It, it's it's very mm-hmm. conscious of now that we've got you, we are going to hold on to you and shake you uh, as thoroughly as possible. Yes. And then, you know, we'll, we'll stop for a minute, but then we're going to get right back to it. Yeah, um, between this and Don't Breathe, Alvarez, um, his strengths are like lie in like his pacing. Like he does understand, you know, the 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 experience that you're going through when you're watching a movie. So like, yeah, he knows when to kind of not take the foot off the gas and keep going for a minute. And then it's like, okay, we will slow it down for a minute. And then it's like, okay, we're going to slow it down because this finale, we're going straight through the roof now, you know, so he really does understand the mechanics of pacing out a horror movie for for a viewing experience because uh, I would say Don't Breathe also is like, it's not just like you admire, it, you know, you're not going into it for the story as much. You're going into it because of, you know, this experience, the feelings that it's making you feel. You know, that's mm-hmm. what Alvarez is concerned with in these movies. I mean, that's I, another movie where there's no heroes, so. Yeah, that too. That too. Some other some other parallels. Um, I do also want to mention um, around you know as all the stuff is going on too. I like how in the first half of the movie the score is very low key. It's very laid back. It's not even very present throughout the first like thirty minutes of the movie. But then as stuff keeps going on, like it gets so much more dramatic and bigger. Um, the score is done by uh, Roque Banos. Um, incredible score. I forgot to mention the the title card stinger at the very beginning. Like, kind of, you know, it hits you big with it, and then like that's as big as the score goes until it gets more into this section again. Then after this, everything is just it's louder, it's more dramatic. In the third act, it has like uh like storm sirens in the background that just like really like amp up the movie. So had to shout out the score uh absolutely love that and you know the way that it also intensifies uh the film along with the pacing yeah evil dead is one of those friend uh horror franchises that doesn't have the distinctive score that doesn't have the mm-hmm. distinctive like monster theme like halloween or even even friday the 13th um mm-hmm. it, it just when you think about Evil Dead music and the Evil Dead, I mean, you think about the Evil Dead Two soundtrack, which is not the score; it's it's rock music. And yeah. you think about, uh, I think I can't remember the name of the gentleman who scored Army of the Dead, but it's most famous for this March of the Dead that Danny Elfman, this like sort of select track that 
Mm-hmm. As the the Deadites are marching on the castle, that was a Danny Elfman track. So mm-hmm. that's that's sort of one area where you could you know build on the original is by just having like a really great score and really filling that void sonically. With, yeah. Um, and I, I did really note. I mean, when you note, technically you really shouldn't notice the music um, on its own when you're watching a movie. It should like fade into the the full sonic experience watching a movie but i did particularly note the music mm-hmm. uh especially near the end when it, it's sort of really feeding into the not just the fight um at the end but also like the siblings and their relationship and how uh david thinks he's killed mia and lost yeah. this chance to you know reconnect with her there's there's something very there's a little hint of John Williams in the sentiment to that scene that could have gone too far and could have sort of broken the the um, the the beat of the movie, mm-hmm. but it, it's just enough. Yeah, I, I did note that that is like the one track that I was like, okay, this feels like it's almost like lifetimey for a minute. Um, yeah, yeah, almost a little too much, but yeah, I agree. It it goes up to it enough, but like, but yeah, like how you said, there's the evil dead franchise doesn't have a very like yeah like oh this is the distinctive theme and this is the evil dead track like no we don't really have that so for me whenever i do think of it i always think of this score i think of the choral the uh the choral singing in the background the big horns um it kind of reminds me of the score um for sweeney todd um Mm -hmm. like uh very very similar in that aspect but it does the the evil dead does have a sound trademark though of um, the way that uses silences as well and this film mm-hmm. does it a couple times like to kind of homage those moments like they'll be like you know it'll just like everything will come to a complete silence for like a hot second and then you'll be bombarded by either the score or you'll be bombarded by somebody screaming or you know something super loud and this film does that a couple times uh, primarily um, the one where it leads into another trademark of the franchise is the Deadites proclaiming everybody's going to die. Like, there's always the scene where the person is possessed. And um, in this one, it's interesting because Mia is screaming, but it's the voice is talking through while her mouth is only making the scream sounds. So it's like she's not even actually mouthing. It's just this voice coming from, like, un- like within her as well. And I think that's a... Um, interesting touch to like that typical trademark of um of the franchise the you know one by one you know we will claim your soul you're all gonna die tonight so do like that it has those homages to the original yeah because the whole thing about what the book unleashes and what the abomination is is it one entity is it many entities like if you have multiple people possessed by the book and are are they all individual deadites or are deadites like a hive mind or i mean this this is probably a little more nuanced than i think <laughs> even sam raimi <laughs> ever thought about but i we, we were talking about the exorcist at the beginning but i, I think somebody was had definitely watched the exorcist before uh for tackling this because mm-hmm. i i did find there, there are a lot of really great moments where it's not so much like the mocking of like the deadites do in the, in the other movies, there's a great line at the end 
or near the end when David's burying Mia in the hopes that it, it kind of like exercises her and they're having like this heart to heart. Um, and he's not a hundred percent sure if he's talking to the dead Mia or the real Mia, but then right before he's about to finish burying her, she says, uh, our mother's very mad at you and she's looking forward to seeing you in hell or something to that effect. And it's just like, like it, it, that, it, that feels like a stab in the chest. Like mother's looking forward to seeing you in hell. Yikes. Oh, I mean <laughs> the evil dead talks massive shit. Like they're always yeah. talking about your sister's getting raped in hell. I can smell your filthy soul calling people yeah. dirty cunts. Like, I mean, they are like, they, they, uh, and, and I would say that the deadites, um, they're like a, collective of evil entities and but then they all follow the abomination mm-hmm. and the abomination is like the main thing because they always say he is coming they say that throughout the film which they don't do in the other ones that's right um yeah. so maybe not hive mind but i think they are all like when someone gets possessed it's like gang possessed by like a different evil entity within the evil dead umbrella yeah, we mm-hmm. are getting way deeper than any than anybody else has in making that distinction. But I, I've always found it fascinating because I, I mentioned in the first uh, in the episode, the first one that deadites. Um, I mean, throughout each one, they take different forms. Like, you know, are they kind of more zombie esque, like they are in this one in the first one, or in the second one? Then they're a little bit more demonic, like turning into different creatures and stuff. And then in Army of Darkness, it's just like. You, you know, possess skeletons, but we also have, like, a winged creature as well. So it's like they take all sorts of different forms. So it's just like this, the evil dead is just this collection of just, like, various evil entities that are, like, you know, banding together to, you know, try to try to end the end the world. You know, they got to go get these these five souls and, and, and do the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, somewhere Sam Raimi's, like, listening to this going, it's just... Guys, it's an evil book. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just it's, an evil it's book. not that complicated. <laughs> uh, but but I love it though. Um, you know, I love the um kind of ever changing lore behind uh the the Evil Dead because a lot of times you know some people will get upset when like you know there's contradictions in mythology and lore and stuff like that. And Evil Dead franchise isn't concerned with that. There's like it's Evil Dead. It it is that. Like, what does Evil Dead even mean? Those words yeah. put together, even you know. So, um, it, it it's all very interesting. I do want to also point out like some more of these um, direct homages to the first one, but they do them in ways that they like twist your expectations. Cause obviously like, you know, even with David and Mia's character, you're watching this, you think David is going to be the Ash character, you know, and, and he's not, and neither is Mia. Mia's not an Ash character. You know, they just decided, obviously we can't do Ash. So we're just not gonna, we're going to do our own things, but we're going to have them do things that Ash did in different ways, you know, so it's like David, you know, putting together the defibrillator to when he's going to bring him back to life. Or, um, I love that Natalie doesn't have like shit to do in this movie. Um, that's uh, David's girlfriend. For those of you who can't remember who Natalie is, that's uh, David's girlfriend who tags along, um, which kudos to her on being down to go do this depressing ass trip, but she gets nothing to do but she does get to cut her arm off in just in such crazy fun fashion, you know, homaging the moment of Ash doing it in Evil Dead 2, but it being a different character. So it twists your expectation, but then also plays on the Evil Dead doing these same things to different groups of people. 
Yeah, I do like that moment where she cuts off her arm because the power goes out before she's able to finish cutting it off. So Mm -hmm. the power goes out and then David and Eric come into the room and they see her standing there and she just turns around and her arm falls off because she I guess she was able to saw through it just enough. So I may have to walk back my it was like hanging by like veins like (laughs) it was like hanging by like tendrils and she's like "Ah, I did it and then the arm just like finally falls off. Ah, Such a great shot. The amount of blood her being sprayed in the face. I love it. I love it so much. (laughs) Yeah, it it is very sort of industrious the way it uses those callbacks i mean even the beginning where she's sitting on the car which is clearly supposed to be ash's car from the original movie it just nobody draws attention to it it that's one of the things i really like about this as a remake there are prizes for the fans in terms of like the easter eggs and the callbacks and things but you don't have to be an evil dead fan to sort of walk into this movie and and enjoy it to the maximum effect which you know if, if we're talking about sort of what makes a really great remake effective i think that's it it's that you you are able to walk that fine line between being a gift bag for the fans but also being something that can create new fans as well by just creating a really awesome compelling movie Mm -hmm. and and for those of you that have been listening to each episode on this one and and tracking my ash's bad dream theory so (laughs) Ash's Delta being shown in this movie supports my theory that so in the in the Evil Dead canon the first movie was real life it actually happened second movie is um second movie is a bad dream it's Ash reliving the events of the first one but in a different you know more exaggerated dreamlike stasis him trying to deal with the trauma of what just happened Interesting. Army of Darkness did not happen. It's a story that Ash tells. That is his trauma response to what happened in the first movie. So Army of Darkness is a story that he tells people. You know, it's this whole where he gets to be the hero, defeats the Deadites, all these things. So that's a story. And then the 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 car in this one shows that because in Army of Darkness, the car gets taken back in time with him. But the mo- it, but here, the Delta is still parked at the cabin. So it supports my theory that first movie happened, Ash get knocked out, has a bad dream laying in the cabin, and then eventually he leaves the cabin but leaves the Delta behind, I guess. Maybe he, he hitchhiked as well. So that's, that's oh. where my final timeline of this franchise is. We could also throw in, you know, Evil Dead the musical as like Ash trying to work out the trauma through like some kind of musical therapy by creating a stage version of his of his uh, his trauma. I totally <laughs> didn't think about that. I forgot about Evil Dead the musical. I haven't mentioned Evil Dead the musical once um, throughout um, any of these episodes because I have not really gotten to see any of it, like or any recordings or anything. But ooh, I like that. That, that that totally makes sense. Music therapy, that totally makes sense. Um, but yeah, there's, um, again, the, the way that they sprinkle in the homages, again, like kind of echoes like what Alvarez said about like, these are co- not just coincidences, but these like events kind of replaying themselves uh, in different ways. And, um, you know, and 
even though certain things in this movie would contradict, like, you know, it connecting to the original, mainly Mia and David's family owning the cabin at some point, that's the only part that doesn't really add up. But everything else, you know, it, it loosely connects if you want it to, if you want to dive into, the, um, you know, these connections and theories. But, um, it, you know, it's that's what makes this fun, though, because the, the franchise has never really cared too strictly about it themselves, you know, so it's like, you, you don't have to, but it's enough to where, yeah, it's, you know, has enough of the things for fans, but it doesn't feel, and it's obviously, like, not, like, a shot-for-shot shot remake or anything. It's, uh, Fede is like, here, I'll give you a few scenes, but the rest of it, we're just gonna kind of do it ourselves. Apparently, though, I, I couldn't, I meant to look for details on this rewatch, but I didn't see anything. Fede Alvarez claims that this movie takes place in the same universe as Drag Me to Hell. Don't know what to do with that information interesting yes i haven't admittedly i haven't seen drag me to hell for years so i don't know what the connective tissue would be Same. other than we we live in a universe of supernatural evil which i guess yeah, yeah i guess it's yeah just implying that this is a world where curses are real and they do have things that happen um yeah yeah i i haven't seen drag me to hell in a in probably a year or two either so um maybe i'll when when we eventually cover drag me to hell on this podcast because we will at some point um i will i will come back to this and we will see if um find any more details um sounds fair but then um of course you know the the final set piece that we have to talk about of this movie is this finale um Again, like, so much happened, like, with the pacing, because this is 90 minutes, or it's under 90 minutes. It's, like, 85 when you, like, get to the credits. It's, like, 90 it's tight. with credits. A lot happens in the first, like, hour, and I didn't really realize it. And then, so it's, like, even though we do spend a good amount of time with Mia just being locked in the cellar, we still do get a full 25-minute finale with Mia getting to, you know, be the badass and defeat the evil which I didn't realize. I was like, oh, I was like, we got to this finale really fast. And it's still enough that even though we've spent enough time away from Mia, she still gets her due and gets to, you know, overcome the evil. I mean, just like when the, the rain just start or when the blood just started raining from the sky, I was like, oh, oh, oh. I was like, it's on. Like, <laughs> and, and notice everything else is also red, too, because there's the Jeep, there's the gas can, um, Mia's dress which yep. um, I always, I had this in the note. Very funny that David, before burying her alive, decided, oh, I need to put a fresh dress on her. I, I mean, I don't know if it was a respect thing, I guess, but I don't know. Or just because so that way she could have her final girl outfit of red dress with a matching red chainsaw because it's awesome. So whatever. Um, but yeah, this. It all worked out in the end. Th this finale fucking rules. <laughs> yeah, it's. Again, it, it's a it's a departure from from the Evil Dead um, as well, where I mean, probably budget issues primarily drove you know a lot of the decisions on that film. But to be able to just sort of have this set piece, and it really is a set piece, and this is one of the things that made me wonder: like, was this on a soundstage? Because I'm, I'm imagining conversations between like the production manager and like forestry services in New Zealand. Like, okay, we're going to set up these rain machines that are going to rain red. <laughs> it's going to rain blood. It's going to be fake blood. Uh, but your forest floor is going to be covered with 
red blood for yeah. weeks. Because <laughs> I can only imagine they could only shoot these a couple times too, you know. So I always think about that, about like the 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 shot resets and stuff um, mm-hmm. when they were filming this. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- we just get gallons upon gallons. Apparently, the number is fifty thousand gallons. Who knows if that's actually true? But I wouldn't doubt it. It was it was definitely a lot. Um, and we do get like you know a lengthy. Uh, chase sequence um you know it's like everybody's dead at this point uh david did sacrifice himself by blowing up the house to kill dead-eyed eric so shout out to david um he kind of sucks for most of the movie but he does do that at least um but then mia getting chased with the abomination and like just all the different things to it and then um whenever mia pulls her arm out from under the the car is just ah I remember everybody's reaction in the theater, like, because the effects on the arm, her arm stretching, and, like, the fact that the chainsaw was so close and she couldn't just do the easy way of cutting it off. Like, she literally had to, like, out of pure will, rip her arm off. Right, and, I mean, that also plays into the whole, uh, you know, withdrawal metaphor that, you know, mm-hmm. you have to make it through the pain and suffering to get to the other side. And yes. The, you know, the it's, it's hard to does- imagine... The abomination does call her a junkie right before she does it too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that almost seems like there's an element to that, which almost feels like tough love as well. Like, Oh, you're just a pathetic junkie. Can't even rip off your own hand to save your ass. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, makes you like, kind of beg the question, like, cause it's like kind of like the whole idea behind it. Like, is this whole thing tough love of them? Like kind of forcing her to like go through this in the cabin. Like, um, against her will and then this is like kind of her finally making a decision for herself like you know like you know like i'm doing this for me um definitely all works out and then um i like that we do get you know so it's like again one-handed you know uh i i like that they pay homage to this pretty much the entire movie everybody's hand gets her arm gets mutilated at some point in this one like because obviously it happens to ash in the first one but they're like no we're gonna fuck everybody's arm up everybody like because uh eric gets a a crowbar smash and like the nails shot through it um or or david gets his arm like whacked by the crowbar and then like um yeah eric gets like shot up with the nail gun in his arm so everybody's arms get mutilated um but then like and then just the 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 money shot the creme de la creme of this movie of mia shoving the chainsaw in the abomination's mouth against the the cabin on fire in the background blood is raining down like i've seen this movie 10 plus times and i still get goosebumps every time i see the scene i remember the energy of the theater like people were literally yeah like people were like it was like we were at a sporting event when that scene happened and i still like feel that every time i watch i love just the way it looks it just like it it embodies everything that i love about horror um these like just like visceral like triumphant moments like after you know you've literally gone through hell physical pain like put through a ringer and then just like of course and then just raining blood on top of it because I love gratuitous amounts of blood. It's kind of my thing. So love this finale shot. I I do wonder if Alvarez is like daring someone to try and censor him. It's like, not only are mm-hmm. we going to use all this blood, like the last 20 minutes of this movie are going to be all blood. There's going to be blood raining. There's going to be blood squirting. There's going to be people ripping limbs off. He's, it, it just reminded me of, um, 
in Kill Bill Volume One during the the sword fight, um, there are mm-hmm. a couple of scenes that are in black and white, uh, and it's people think it's like some sort of weird stylistic choice by, by Quentin Tarantino, but no, it was because the MPAA said, "Oh, there's too much blood in this scene. Uh, you're going to have to cut it out." And he's like, "Well, what if you know? What if it's in black and white and you don't see the blood?" And apparently that was okay. So it, it just it, it feels like he was like daring some sensor somewhere to go like, Ooh, this is too bloody. Mr. Alvarez, you may have to cut this up. And it's mm-hmm. like, what's there to cut? It's a 80 minute. <laughs> well, and I, well, it's, it's that because shortcuts on that would be because like uh, uh, how other movies also like, they'll just change the color of blood to get around yeah. it. They're like, well, it's not blood. It's black ooze. And yeah. you know, or, but I think, um, you know, like you said, like, yeah, it's him definitely pushing it, but also knowing that I don't think they could get him to cut like other stuff because there's nothing sexual in this. If there no. were, if there was even uh, like, you know, like one scene of nudity, then like then they could be like hammer down not only on that, but on other things. But he's like, he's like, what? It's just blood. What are you going to do? Like, yeah, it's his rated R, but like you're not going to get much more than that. So. I do wonder too how much is like it almost seems like purifying in a way like the the, the bloody rain and mm-hmm. you know the references to witchcraft when they find when they go into the basement and they find the dead cats and they find the book like Eric immediately goes oh my goodness it's witchcraft um, which is like weird that you would jump to that conclusion not assume that you know like you had some really <laughs> really ugly people maybe squatting there but um, it, it does feel a bit like pagan lore of you know sullied by blood but also cleansed by blood and um it's it's kind of like a an awakening for her and it, it it's kind of weird that it, it 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 is both a bloodbath in a metaphorical sense in that all her friends are massacred but it's also a literal bloodbath because uh she is mm-hmm. trounced and and covered in blood by the time this is over yeah like um the overall i feel like it's just like a a perfect stamp on the end of this movie on like what you know what you just went through like what you know not just what mia went through but like what you just went through like as an audience member like Mm -hmm. watching this movie as well um final note was again um i i've mentioned this on the show before like one of my favorite because again like this movie just has a lot of things that i love for like my particular horror preferences and one trope that I just do love is picking one character out of the group and just making them go through a little bit more than everyone else. Just like <laughs> really putting them through the ringer. I don't know why that satisfies me, but it especially does here. Because like on this most rewatch, I was just like, I hate Eric so much. And like I love um Taylor Lupucci. Like he's great, um, phenomenal in Spring and um some other movies as well. Um I totally forgot he was Benji in the first couple of episodes of uh, You on Netflix as well. Totally forgot that. But, like, and he's so good at making you hate him because, like, <laughs> he he's the one that reads the book like a dummy for no reason. Yep. The book that was covered in a trash bag and barbed wire. He's the one that reads it because, for reasons, or because it's like, you know, you could say the evil dead just influences people to read from this book. Um, but it's like he's the one that reads from it. But then the whole rest of the movie, he just, like, talks shit and, like, says a bunch of smart-ass shit to David and, like, everyone else and all these, like, he, like, has all the the witty lines, you know? And I'm just like, man, 
I hate this fucking guy. This is mainly your fault, but you're also like so condescending. So it's like, is it from the Evil Dead's influence? <laughs> well, it's weird too because he doesn't just read the book, but he has to like forensically lift the magic right. words off of the book. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, when you're when you're doing the pencil trick at that at any point, do you think to yourself, hmm, maybe I shouldn't do this? Like this is a lot of effort I'm going through. No, he, he still needed it, <laughs> and it's so belligerent too. Like he's treating it as an intellectual exercise, of course. I mean, and you have to assume that none of these people have encountered real magic before. Okay, fair mm-hmm. enough. But he's flipping past page after page that says, "Don't read this book." Like throw this mm-hmm. book away. No, seriously, don't read this book. <laughs> Why are you still reading this book? <laughs> oh man like literally so just like uh, my my hatred for this character and just the the extreme punishment that he goes through um is again like just like me as a horror fan these are the moments that i live for like he gets stabbed with a hypodermic needle on the eye he gets nail gunned in his arm he has a crowbar smash his hand like he has everything happen to him and then he dies getting you know lit on fire (laughs) I was going to say eye stuff is always my area when it comes to horror movies. Like I can watch people dismembered 500 different ways, but like as soon as you start poking eyes with Mm. needles, I'm like, time out. No, no, no. Take it. You're not a black (laughs) Christmas 2006 fan. Oh, well, (laughs) that is I stuff the movie (laughs) that you're you're right that I was going to say there are many reasons why I'm not a fan of Black Christmas 2006. But I mean, Mm. I stuff is is a big area with that. (laughs) fair enough uh fair enough um yeah the this movie is a banger i love it um we do have so fetty alvarez originally like pretty much i remember i remember when he tweeted he went to twitter he's like he's like i have a script for don't breathe 2 or would you rather see evil dead 2 which doesn't have a script and everybody said evil dead 2 but he still did don't breathe 2 instead but he didn't direct it but he did write it ew that movie ew um i haven't seen it yet so oh don't don't (laughs) Okay. <laughs> um, no taken. Just, just, just imagine the first one's the only one that happened. Okay. Um, but um, so we do have um, another Evil Dead movie being made currently. It's currently in production right now. Evil Dead Rises with uh, Lee Cronin directing. Uh, he directed um, A Hole in the Ground, which came out a few years ago. Talented director. Didn't love that movie, but I can see the talent that he has. So I'm intrigued, but. I couldn't find details if it, like, is going to come after this one or if it's supposed to take place in the uh, timeline of e- of either this movie or the original. I mean, I guess... I did, I did find a synopsis. Yeah, um, it's like two sisters are, like, trying to deal with, yes. you know, their family getting possessed in, and all that jazz. It's called Evil Dead Rise, and this, this is the premise. In Evil Dead Rise, a a road-weary Beth pays an overdue visit to her older sister, Ellie, who is raising three kids in her own cramped L.A. apartment. The sister's reunion is cut short by the discovery of a mysterious book deep in the bowels of the building, giving rise to flesh-possessing demons, thrusting Beth into a primal battle for survival as she's faced with the most nightmarish version of motherhood imaginable. Oh, we're going to get Evil Deadite children. I love that. Um, I, that. That's how I read it, too. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, it, it's also going to be an urban Evil Dead, which is something, I mean, yeah. hmm. that we haven't gotten, at least in movie form. But yeah, that is interesting. Um, I mean, I'm I'm into it. Um, I'm intrigued to see 
what it's going to be like with the t- I mean I assume it sounds like the tones could be pretty dour on this one as well um so yeah we will we shall see I'm I'm very excited but that does close out our coverage on the Evil Dead franchise made it through the the month um so <laughs> to transition us out I want to see where this film um, not only ranks for you among the franchise, but then as far as like remakes as well. Hmm. Um. I think this is probably my second favorite Evil Dead. Uh. I think Evil Dead Two is probably my all-time personal favorite because uh. I mean, it, it's just a, a classic from beginning to end. I like the slapstick in it. That's one of the things I, you, you mentioned that you didn't get necessarily get the humor that's because it's slapstick humor it's very three oh, stooges yeah. based so i mean it, it 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 is slapstick uh although it's blood and gore slapstick it's still slapstick so i i definitely rank evil dead 2 even though they're two entirely different movies but if you know if i'm holding both in my hand and i have to put one in the dvd player i i would probably go with evil dead 2 I think uh, overall, in terms of remakes, I think this is probably one of the better horror remakes, um, at, le- at, at least in the modern sense. I was kind of going over in my mind some of the other really good remakes. Um, Dawn of the Dead would probably be one because it, it's very similar, where it takes the skeleton and mm-hmm. tells an entirely different story. But I mean, on the other hand, you also have something like Let Me In, which is the American version of Let the Right One In, which captures very well that same sense of mood and dread and uh, darkness um, in a slightly different way than the Swedish uh, original. But mm-hmm. it, it is still very, very well done. And of course, who directed that movie? Uh, Matt Reeves, who is now um, doing yeah. Batman. So. Yeah, pretty wild. Um, uh, yeah, I definitely, um, agree with you. Um, everybody's preference of the Evil Dead franchise, yeah, does go to, like, yeah, what tone do you prefer? Um, is that comedy for you? And, like, yeah, like, slapstick comedy just isn't really my thing. Um, we especially touched on that last episode with Army of Darkness. Um, so, yeah, this one is, uh, I mean, I've said it in multiple episodes, this one is my favorite, um, at the top for me, because it just gives me exactly what I want as a horror fan. Um, and like, this is just like, you know, like this is no, the, no games are being played in this one. And, um, and I appreciate it. And then, but then um, I was surprised on the rewatches of this franchise. And I actually did like the original evil dead slightly more than evil dead Two. Um, mm. I do like a lot of things that do happen in Evil Dead 2, and that is where I think a lot of the iconography from the franchise comes from. But again, as just like a experience of, of, of the viewing experience, um, I do still like uh, the, the original quite a bit um, because it does kind of have this um, sinister tone to it, but just not as mean-spirited as this one. And mm-hmm. then I would go Evil Dead 2 and then Army of Darkness um, for the franchise. And uh, yeah, this this remake does um, it does uh, fit very closely. Like you said, the Dawn of the Dead remake. I would also say um, the Suspiria remake. It's kind of mm-hmm. also in that vein of taking the skeleton, but a different story, but still with enough homages to the original. Um, so I would yeah, I put it in that kind of category. Um, and like I said, like just for the fact that 
this like you and you also said like this was very refreshing because people were kind of past some of the remake stuff so i think the timing of when this movie came out uh, also helped it just big time uh, everything just kind of you know aligned in a way um but yeah so this is definitely one of the better remakes in my opinion i mean i'm a big uh, big fan of remakes um and this one yeah is definitely one of my one of my favorites for sure Remakes are better than people think. And, you know, sometimes your favorite movies end up being remakes. I mean, uh, think about John Carpenter's The Thing. That's mm-hmm. a remake. Yeah. Or The Fly as well. Or um, The Fly. Yeah. I mean, those are the two big ones. Like people who like love The Fly. Oh, so you like remakes. Interesting. So mm-hmm. don't 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 misjudge something because it's a remake. You never know when you're going to get a really good one. Yeah, I'm, I'm always optimistic, I, I, you know, because like if we're going to get something of the same, then I am more of like whenever I go into a remake, I want the ones that are either like drastically tonally different or just tell a completely different story. But like within that world, like I like I want things to be radically different. I'm not a person that's like, oh, like, you know, that you watch a remake and then it's like, oh, it didn't have it wasn't enough of like, you know, blank original. Like I want it to be as different as possible. Um, that's just kind of my preference. I mean, I, I always say this on my other show end credits, too. It, you know, just because there's a formula doesn't mean that's necessarily bad. You, you Can you do the formula really well is the question. And in that spirit, you know, remakes like the Friday the 13th remake, it, it, that's a really fun Friday the 13th film, even though it doesn't necessarily do anything really intrinsically different with the franchise yeah. or something like My Bloody Valentine uh, as well, which um, has a lot of fun actors in it, like Jensen Eccles and Kerr mm-hmm. um, Smith, you know, kind of your all, all your CW boyfriends all together in one movie. <laughs> but, uh, you know, th- there are fun remakes, but I, I again, Evil Dead is like a cut above because it, it really has something to say and it's really trying to do something different. So, mm-hmm. um yeah see it if you can (laughs) i'd say it's like a i'll compare this remake to a good recipe like okay i'll give you the instructions and the ingredients um read the instructions if you want to don't measure out any of the ingredients measure out how you feel you need them uh switch some ingredients out for some of your own you know and and see how your dish turns out that's that's the way i'll look at this one (laughs) yeah 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 i concur uh, Thank you so much, Em, for coming on the show. I was super happy to have you on to, again, talk one of my, like, literal, this is, I would say, a, a top 25 film for me. Um, yeah, it's it's up there for me. So, so glad to have you on for such a great conversation. I was, I was happy to take part, and uh, I was happy to revisit Evil Dead 2013, and uh, I, I thank you so much for, for having me on. It was fun. Yeah, and um, what are you working on at the moment? Where can people find you on social media? Uh, you can find me easy enough at Adam A. Donaldson at Twitter and Instagram. I'm not doing too much movie stuff right this minute, except for my my weekly movie review show, uh, End Credits, uh, which you can find at endcreditsradioshow.com. Uh, it's not all horror, sorry to say. Uh, we, we do sometimes get into... The opposite of horror, like the card counter uh, and other movies like that. But uh, we do sometimes get into the horror stuff as well. And uh, yeah, just that's that's the best place to find me is at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. I will have links to his social media in the description. 
Um, what is coming up next on the show, guys? Well, November is going to be a weird month. Um, we're not doing a monthly theme or a franchise because I have a lot of um, unreleased um, lost episodes, I've been calling them, quote unquote. Um, so I have like just like it's a mix between I have a bunch of episodes on we got some queer horror coming at you. Uh, we got the Final Destination franchise coming at you at some point. And then we also have some movies talking about the devil. We have a nice little smorgasbord um, coming at you in November. It's like it's going to look like how your Thanksgiving plate should look like. Just like just various things all touching each other lumped together. That's what uh, you're getting in November. So I'm excited for you guys to hear um, some of these great episodes that were recorded like a little while back and uh, just haven't gotten to see the light of day until now. Um, So super excited for that. Make sure you're on the lookout and subscribe to the podcast on whatever uh, podcast platform you listen to. We're on all the things. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please go on there, rate us five stars, leave a nice little review. It'll help me and my ego sleep at night. Um, but that is all I got for you for this week's episode of the Blade Blunt Cinema Club. New episodes drop every Tuesday. Make sure you are following the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at BloodyBluntCC and following me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Daddy Disco. And until next time, guys, stay lifted. Stay lifted.